Well, I'm getting at least a little bit of deja vu right now because it's a new international break, but through two games, Canada have once again picked up two draws, one of which was very satisfying, one of which a little more cause for concern, the window. Now, of course, culminates in another massive home game, this time against Panama tomorrow, which we will get you set for in this week's edition of Waking the Red Weekly, presented by Footy Talks. You might also have noticed uh, me wearing a, an amazing new kit today. Shout out to Waking the Reds' Ryan Lindsay, who just joined Bonavitel Soccer Club as their community coordinator and sent us all these beautiful shirts. Uh, these are also a celebration of our guests this week, as the club's technical director, Amy Harrison, will join us shortly to chat about the club and all things youth soccer in Canada. But first, no Jeffrey Pinesker this week. It's just Mike and I riding alone. Mike, you're going to you have to pick up the analogies game this week, I think. Oh, no, pressure's on. I cannot do that. I'm actually the worst. In the, we know how Jeff's the best in the league, best in the world at it. I'm the worst in the world at analogies, so I'm the least creative person ever. But what is creative is actually that kid, because I actually really, really do like that kid. I'm not even going to lie. That's, that's one of the nicer kids I've seen out there. And Hey, guys, still waiting for mine. I don't know if uh, you guys got the memo there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think I got to do a more thorough check at the mail. Um, but yeah, Mitch, as you mentioned... You know, big week for Canada soccer. I don't know, I guess, what to make of that result quite yet, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that more uh, as the show goes on. But, hey, Amy's waiting for us there in the background. I think we should bring her on. Absolutely. Yeah, now joined by the technical director of Bonavitel Soccer Club, Amy Harrison. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the kit as well. You guys even gave me a squad number, a uh, number eight. Uh, I don't know if that fits my playing style very well, but I don't know if you'd want me in the, the middle of the field, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, yeah, just tell us a bit about the club and, and how you got involved. Yeah, it's great to see you wearing it. Um, we are typically blue, actually. So we, um, we, we've just actually put out a big survey to all our players uh, to select next year's kit. So we're teasing everyone on social media on what that might be because we've got the final results. So we're coming away from the gray and black uh, and the, the kids are all excited for that. So yeah, my my time uh, at Bonnie Vitale has been quite short so far. I've only got there beginning of June. Um, I came from the Whitecaps, uh, originally from Winnipeg, but I was with the Whitecaps for two years working in their Super Rex program and running their girls' academy. Uh, so it's good to be home. Uh, there's lots of exciting things happening in Winnipeg and we have such good families, such good people involved in the club, and we're we're thrilled to see where it's going to go in these next few years. Yeah, I mean, it sounds uh, from everything we've heard, it, it sounds pretty uh, exciting. A lot of you know up and coming stuff. But Amy, can you just tell me a little bit more about the club itself and how you kind of just got started there? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually involved in another club, uh, Winnipeg South End United, before I left for um, for Vancouver a couple of years ago. Um, the club is, uh, has made some, Bonnie Vital has made some major changes in the last, I'd say six months, um, with personnel and, and the direction the club is going, uh, you know, they wanted to kind of create that positive culture, um, and, and really create that family atmosphere within the players. And, you know, we, we actually brought on, um, we now are in charge of the recreational side of the game as well here for our area, our district. Um, and that kind of, that really increased the player pool that we're looking at. Um, and it provides more and more options for young kids to play where they want to play. Uh, not everybody wants to play competitively. I mean, I did that, but not everybody wants to play that way. Um, and really put all that commitment in, they might play multiple sports. Um, and so it provides a lot of different avenues for players 
We also have obviously our competitive streams through developmental from nine to 12. And then we have premier, um, which is 13 and up. Um, and that's a little bit more competitive, uh, more training, more games uh, for those players uh, with a kind of tiered system there. So we're kind of, you know, there, there's five district clubs um, involved, you know, in the league right now, as well as some academies. Uh, and we're looking to really collaborate and make it competitive uh, for our players to develop more and more players. Jacob Sai just had an opportunity, uh, which I think is how this conversation started uh, with Valor FC. Um, so that was really exciting in their um, run for the cup there. And we, we also have a lot of female players, almost the entire squad of our 17s are already committed to universities. Uh, so it, there's some really exciting stuff happening and a lot of opportunities for young people uh, in, in our area and, and across Winnipeg, really. Yeah, and Amy, being kind of on the forefront of, of youth football, how much of an impact has, you know, the recent success of both national teams had in terms of just the belief of the players and, you know, kind of being able to see Canadian players thrive on the international stage, obviously be that the, the gold medal for the women's team or the men's team and just, uh, you know, some of the recent performances against uh, the best teams in the region. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously this past summer was incredible for anyone who follows women's soccer, but you know, we've, we've been super lucky here in Winnipeg to have Desiree Scott be a role model for our young kids, uh, boys and girls, uh, for the last 15, 20 years. And so with her being from Winnipeg and being a part of that gold medal squad this past summer, it's really kind of created that buzz again. Uh, and then as you guys always cover, the men's side is just thriving. Uh, and, and we're seeing them really come out uh, and get great results against great teams. And I think, you know, our culture in Canada isn't always just being a coach and, and knowing our players. They don't watch the game a lot, young people. And it's it, we're starting to get more and more exciting international events that we're a part of that's inspiring the young people. Um, the, more the more often women are playing soccer on TV, my friend just sent me a, a, a picture showing me that the NWSL was on at the gym. Um, you know, like it's exciting to see more and more coverage of the women's game. But then also uh, our men's team doing so well and more and more Canadian uh, players going on to bigger leagues uh, too, which is exciting. Not just Alfonso Davies, which is amazing, but more and more of them coming through the system. Yeah, and that's a kind of a good segue for, for my next question. It's revolving more so around the women's game, actually. And, you know, we saw the, the effect that, you know, we had millions of people, Canadians specifically, watching that, that women's uh, run at the Olympics and what a, what a what a magical moment! But what's next for the women's game in this country? Like, what are your thoughts on on a women's professional league or a women's professional team? It's one question we kind of ask a lot of our guests on the show: is where do you think Canada should head next? Should it be a team, or should do you think they have the capacity to take on its own league? That's a great question. It's in every conversation I have right now. Um, you know we we've had success in the women's game for a long time at the olympic side of things um we're still looking for that success at the world cup we're developing more and more players but we're developing them out of country um there's so many benefits to having a domestic league uh, i'm actually doing a lot of research on it personally right now and i think when we look at the direction the women's league is going yeah a couple of nwsl franchises would be fantastic uh, but I think there is a desire and an appetite and, uh, you know, we are starting to become a football country and 
the number of tickets sold to women's games, even friendly games in Canada is amazing. Um, and it's in the past always outdone actually the men's side. So there is an appetite for women's football and it's showing in the US and across the world that people want to watch the women's game. And I think when we look at the development of players, it's necessary. And, and if we wanna stay at the top of the FIFA rankings and continue to climb and stay there, uh, and not allow these other nations to kind of creep up with their development, we, we need that league. And so what that looks like, I'm not 100% sure. I do believe that it's important to have, whether it be a second tier similar to the CPL um, underneath the NWSL, I think there there is something there. Uh, now, I know that there's, you know, people looking at it and people thinking about it. And I think this past summer really showed um, the desire uh, in Canada to be able to like go out, watch um, and the impact it could have on our young players in Canada as well. Yeah, I think Christine Sinclair was saying a, a crazy stat that Canada was the only country within the top 10 of, of FIFA yeah. Women's World rankings that didn't have its own domestic league it's, and for them to, to go on and, and win the olympics in that fashion is yeah. is quite quite incredible but yeah go ahead mitch well no it's just and 100 i think it was us in jamaica in the world cup that were the only two mm. countries um and so that is wild wow. uh and it's something that you know we have a really really like it's a large country we get it um there's a lot of challenges there but i think the cpl is proving that it is possible um they've had a lot of challenges with COVID and everything too, but they're making their way through it. And I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's interesting speaking to some people because you kind of can look at it as, well, we've already, we've always done well. So why do we need a league on the women's side? Well, that, that's not the case because yeah, we have been doing well. We've had success um, in different avenues. We've had success, but other nations are developing rapidly um, and they're developing rapidly because they have domestic leagues. So it's about sustainability um, and making sure that we remain at the top and continue to strive for even more and more success. Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen the the dividends of what having a local club can do for you with with Valor as well. How you know, obviously, you guys are, are partnered with them, but how important has that been to have a clear team in in the market where you know the, the players don't even have to move away from home if if they want to play pro now on the men's side. Yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of examples of players going through um, being pulled from, you know, youth teams and going into the CPL system. Um, it's massive. I think the first year, uh, the league kind of what they did was they blacked out um, dates so that you could go to the games consistently. And I'd love to see something similar to that moving forward um, to ensure that the fan base continues to grow. COVID obviously is a major factor, um, but, you know, People are still showing up. People are, you start to see more and more brand recognition across the city, Valor logos, Valor stickers on cars, uh, flags, jerseys, and it's exciting, uh, especially when you see the local players involved and playing. And, you know, you start to see a lot of those players coming back into the community and coaching. Like Jose Galan, he's coaching at Winnipeg South and United. And we've got um, Raf helps out um, Oheen at a bunch of different clubs. And, um, we also have Federico Pina, who's a, a local player, uh, who's on Valor, who's working with players in our club and other clubs. And so those players are going to go watch those games and they're going to be inspired. Um, and I think when I go, when I think back to that question about would it be important on the women's side, it's, it's important to inspire players to play the game. And we're seeing more and more research come out, not just, I mean, years of research showing that numbers 
you know, as they get to 15 years old, numbers decline on the women's side and the girls game, uh, they drop out of sport completely. And I think, you know, our numbers year to year in Winnipeg and across the country are declining. And now with COVID, it's going to decline even more. I think it's like a ridiculous percentage of players and young people that are not going back to sport. And so we need these things to continue to inspire our young people. Um, and, and seeing those players actually get the opportunity, that's what shows that it's possible. Oh, it's, it's, it's exciting, really exciting. Yeah, and, and sort of building off that is that what's really important, in my opinion, is, is a pathway, I guess, to, to something bigger. And I guess to build off that, what you're saying is what is that pathway for people who are a bit older? Um, what's the next step? Is it an NCAA scholarship? Is it, you know, trying to make it professionally overseas? Is it dependent on, on the player itself? What, what are you guys trying to do there? Specifically at Bonnie Vital. Um, yeah. What we're looking at doing, and, and it's, a, it's along the same lines as what um, a lot of the, the district clubs here are doing, but we provide a, a place to play up until 17. Um, we're lo- we have a men's team uh, in the men's league in the Premier League here in Winnipeg. Uh, we're looking at getting a women's team. So that kind of bridges that gap. Um, but it is that next tier uh, that we need to have as well here in Winnipeg, um, specifically on the women's side. Uh, there is different opportunities on the men's side once they hit 18 years old. Um, that kind of bridges that gap between potentially going from youth to senior. Uh, the gap is bridged on the women's side in Winnipeg with university opportunities. Uh, if you are on, if you're on the men's side, you have to go away. There is actually, well, there is uh, college opportunities, uh, but there's no youth sport opportunities in Manitoba right now. So you know, the I think the pathway there's opportunities. You just kind of have to navigate it. It's about filling those voids and finding a way to keep players playing the game at the highest level that they want to play um, for as long as possible. So yeah, I agree. It's, I don't think it's linear right now and I don't think it should be linear. I don't think that there should be only one way to go. It's being proven in the women's game and the men's game, sorry, but um, both sides right now uh, where the women's game had always been kind of one pathway. And now you're seeing, um, you know, Bianca or uh, players coming through that weren't in the rec system or weren't in NCAA and they went directly to pro, uh, which is exciting. And it should be that way. If players are good enough, they should be able to play. So, yeah, well said. Yeah, yeah and you, uh, you of course, played pro yourself over in Scotland with Rangers and Hearts. Um, what was that experience like, you know, going over to Europe? Obviously, we're, we're starting to see it now. More Canadian players, Janine Becky, Jesse Fleming, um, a bunch now over over between a number of leagues. I mean, there's something like six in the Champions League this year, which is which is very exciting for for the national team program. Um, what was that experience like and and where maybe does women's pro football still need to go here? Um, you know, obviously in light of the, the past few weeks over here in North America and and a lot of different things that have come out about, you know, the unfortunate treatment of, of women's players, especially compared to their male counterparts. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So when I went overseas uh, and I played in Scotland, it actually was technically semi-pro, it was amateur. Mm-hmm. Um, I played for Rangers when they had been financially relegated. So that was a really uh. interesting time for me. Uh, but I, I played for their first season and then I went over to Hearts a, a year later. I took a year off. But it, it was interesting. Um, you know, you had like a couple diehard fans that were both men's and women's, but they that was about it. And then you just had family friends attending games. We were on, you know, some 
Rangers had some better facilities. We had some shoddy facilities uh, on the hearth side of things. But the game, even in five years, uh, it's been longer than that for me. But even five years later from when I left, it had grown immensely. There was uh, Glasgow City was the only team with professional players, uh, fully paid players at the time. And they had continually uh, been winning the league and going on to Champions League. Now you have competition there. Um, you know, like Celtics becoming fully professional, Hibs, um, Rangers is as well. And they're bringing in top talent from um, out of country. And so with that is is really enhancing the league. The resources are going into it. The success of the Scottish national team really kicked things off. Um, and th- and that's, that's super exciting players that I've played with that are doing really well in that realm um, that are no longer having to go away. They're actually now coming back and playing domestically too. So I think the game has come a long way in seven years. And I think we have to celebrate that. I think we, on the women's side, we get stuck as, in my personal opinion, you know, we need this, we need this. It's like, yeah, we do, 100%. Um, We deserve it, but we've come a long way and we just need to keep pushing for that. And I think this last couple weeks was heartbreaking, um, even if you're not involved directly with what was going on in the States and what's going on across the globe. It's heartbreaking because we've been in those situations and you can't imagine it personally although it happens too often. So we need the proper people involved, men or women in these leagues that are good people that want the right thing and that hold standards um, and hold people accountable uh, for what they're doing. So, I, you know, people are speaking up, players are finding their voice and that's exactly what we need. Uh, players need to feel comfortable to be able to share um, and to be able to express what's gone on and be able to make change. And it's really exciting seeing some of these huge names, huge names in the women's and men's side speaking up about what's been going on. Um, and that'll just continue to grow the game in the right way. Yeah, yeah. really, really well said there. And um, last last question for me, um, I probably should have, you know, maybe begun with this, but it's it's about the, the pandemic and kind of how that's affected youth soccer there. And and is are things starting to get sort of back to normal? Or is it still still challenging? Yeah, it, I would say it's getting back to normal in terms of what like operations um we're having less and less restrictions i guess you'd say um a lot of it has to do with vaccinations uh what you can actually do and not do in manitoba now uh i think just the biggest impact is players coming back as i mentioned um our numbers are down uh from previous years we've made a lot of changes so it's difficult to say whether all of that is due to um to the pandemic but uh, i think you know i think it might take a couple years for people to be comfortable to put their young kids in sport again uh, but hopefully we're able to provide that environment so that they do uh sport is so incredibly important to young people as i'm sure you all know here i'm preaching to the choir uh, but it's it's one of those things that i i wouldn't be who i am today without sport um, and my support systems that i had through sport so really hoping that we continue to grow our numbers and make that safe place uh, for people to come back to cool amazing thank you so much for joining us today Amy. this has been awesome Thank you yeah. for having me, and we'll get you that kit. It's on its way. I shipped it myself. So yeah, I, I might need to just do a thorough check in my mailbox. That could be on me, and I'll, I'll let you know. I'll keep you updated, Amy. Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, have a great rest of the show. Yeah, you too, Amy, and uh, sure. great stuff today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, cool. That was that was awesome, Amy Harrison of Bonavital, and you know, shout out to Ryan Lindsay for for hooking that up with us and 
as, as you guys all saw, great stuff from her. She's obviously very, um, you know, fluent with with all of this, the topics that we covered. And, you know, they got someone good in charge there at, at Bonavitale, Mitch. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no, it does. It just excites me when, you know, you have technical directors like that on who know their stuff that well in terms of just the direction of, of where soccer is going in Canada. Because, you know, for so many years, um, it just ha- that, that level of knowledge hasn't been there. That level of passion and enthusiasm hasn't been there um, for the for the game in this country. But, you know, when you have people like that who obviously have the experience having played over in Europe and, and with uh, the Canadian youth teams and with in university as well, um, you know, and, and they're giving back uh, in some ways by helping the next generation through. I mean, we're seeing that more and more. And yeah, Amy's just a great example of that. So, you know, but yeah. No, you said it perfectly. You kind of summed up everything that I was trying to say there in a more eloquent way, as as you typically do. Um, But let's uh, let's move on, Mitch, and let's get into some, I guess, I guess some men's national team talk, because they're probably the hot topic right now in this country. Mitch, two draws, I guess. where, Where do you want to start with this one? Um, it's, it's a tough one, right? Cause I think you summed it up very well on Twitter, which is that you love how much the goalposts moved in this country in the sense that like a few years ago in a way draw in CONCACAF, and I know they were the last place team, but, um, you know, on a way draw in CONCACAF without what six starters or something like that. If you, if you really think about it between the guys who were suspended, you know, you've got Laren and Hutchinson, even Borean who, who aren't, uh, who aren't available right now. Um, so, and you know Hoylet wasn't available too so you've got so many guys that weren't there and they're still able to come up with a result on a shoddy pitch you know a couple of days after playing at the Azteca and we're still kind of disappointed and we've still been sort of disappointed with you know even maybe that draw at the Azteca a tiny bit even the draw in <laughs> Nashville which is such a big result obviously the home draw against Honduras is is different that that one isn't actually probably disappointing in any cycle but with that being said you know yeah, I mean, it, it all comes down to Wednesday, really, doesn't it? This window could either be an outstanding window, I think, where you pick up another five points and you're you're in a great, great spot, um, or, you know, anything less than that. And things are getting pretty tricky there all of a sudden. So um, I think it's certainly, you know, the, the, two, the two first draws put maybe a little extra pressure on that, that home game. But at the same time, we knew that that was going to be the key to this window was whatever happened against Panama. And really, this is the key to the whole qualifying campaign in general is right. you have to win your games at home. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to is, is if you can you know, do what you got to do at home, get get results that you need to get, then it doesn't really matter what you're going to do on the road. Um, I think many people have done done the math already. As long as you win out your home games, then Canada is going to be in a pretty comfortable spot. Circling back, I guess, to, to what I was saying there is that that's, that's a great fact that we're having that debate that we're having the passion in this country where people are like, it, guys, that's not good enough. Because personally, I, I kind of agree. Like, I believe they should have came away with three points there in Jamaica. But I, I just, I think just taking a step back and just looking at how far we've come in, in such little time is, is quite remarkable. And I think that was really the sentiment I was trying to echo there is just enjoy it guys. Cause this is literally moving so quickly before our own eyes that we're not even realizing just how quickly Again, those goalposts are moving. Now, game-wise, I love the game Canada played against Mexico. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought they they took it to Mexico. 
you know, I tweeted out early, like maybe 10, 15 minutes into the match. I'm like, Canada's winning this game. Even when they went down a goal, I like, doubled down on it. I'm like, no, I, I don't take, I forget who it was who, who told me to take it back. I'm like, no, I do not take it back because I honestly believe the Canadians going down a goal at the Azteca have the ability to come back in this game. It's to me, it, that's, it's a show of their fight the show of their determination. Like this is a team that is, will not be intimidated whatsoever, regardless of the environment. They play with this swagger that like Canada didn't really have in, in the soccer, soccer game for a long time. It's that they won't back down from a tackle. Like usually when you go into a game with, with a team from central America, you're kind of, you know, I, I've seen a lot of Canadians not go half hearted into challenges and, you know, try and make sure they're not injured. Now Canada is the one that's going to be on that front foot. And really, you know, taking inches away from their opponents, and I think that's that that's a that's a great sign. And you know, players like Richie Larea, Tejon Buchanan, obviously Alfonso Davies, kind of setting the tone after his experience in Europe. You know, someone like an Alistair Johnston, who again, remarkable performances from Alistair Johnston. Um, Kamal Miller, shout out to him as well. Stephen Victoria, and you know, Estacchio in the midfield, like all of these guys, they're, they're setting the tone for Canada, which is that again, they, they're not going to be intimidated. They're not backing down. you know, whenever there is a, a scrum or a fight, like everybody's in there backing each other up. And I don't, I think that's a, a, a great sign that this team is confident in their, in their abilities. And they, they believe they belong there, if that makes sense. And I, I love seeing that. And I thought that was the case against Mexico is it's despite the environment at the Azteca, this team show that they belonged in this region. And man, I said it, I said it a few months ago on this show, watch out for Canada for, for, to be a dark horse, not only to finish third or fourth in this qualifying group, watch out for them to perhaps finish first or second. Cause I believe they honestly have the ability. Well, and a often cited stat that very much backs that up is the fact that Canada becomes the first team in the final round of World Cup qualifying to ever get points against both the Mexicans and the United States away from home. And, you know, that's obviously hugely massive for Canada. It goes without saying. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the the fact that they were also able to do that, both games coming from behind, just shows the mentality of this team. And like you said, the the lack of fear and this just really feels like a national team for the first time ever. I, I think, you know, watching Canada, maybe not for the first time ever, but for the first time in a long time where, you know, watching Canada for, for so many years, it almost felt like a club team where there was so much roster rotation where guys were coming in and, you know, maybe not giving their all and, and just maybe doing it so that they could win a club job. It, it just, there, there were so many really decent players who came into Canada and pulled on that Canada shirt and looked nothing like, who they could be. And now we're seeing guys like Mark Anthony K belting out the anthem. We're seeing guys <laughs> like Jonathan Osorio who look like world-class player. Like not that Jonathan Osorio's um, you know, sorry, I should <laughs> that, that makes me sound or makes it sound like Jonathan Osorio is not a good player, but you know what I mean? Like he takes it his game to another level now when you're playing with Canada. He's hardly the only one. Like there's so many guys in that field who step on, pull on that red shirt now and you know, there's there's just a pride there that didn't exist before. And again, like I said, it just feels like a national team now where, you know, there's that belief and there's that willingness to want to sacrifice for your country. And, you know, that's why Canada's the closest it's been in my lifetime, I think, to a, to a World Cup. Yeah, and not only that, I think they 
if they don't make the World Cup, I think a lot of people will be disappointed, Mitch. And again, mm-hmm. that that's just where we are in, in terms of the talent level that we have in this in this country for playing for this team. It just it's a great thing, as you said. It feels like a national team now. Like a great signifier for me is that you know in the past, I think there there's quite a few domestic teams that probably could have given this Canadian men's national team a run for its money. Like I think Toronto FC in, in 2017 probably yeah. could have beat the men's national team in 2017 if you're yeah. going head to head there, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, just to relate this to like a, a video game, for example, FIFA, like Canada's going to be fun to use in FIFA now, guys. Like, yeah. I don't even know if they were in the game quite a, f- a couple of years ago because there just wasn't enough talent there to make up for a competitive team. Where now, like, they're going to be really fun to use, and I think that's that's just because of the amount of depth, the amount of the star talent that this team has, and I think that's why I'm, I'm saying like star talent. You look at that front three of you know Alfonso Davies. And Jonathan David and Tejon Buchanan. There's not a front three in CONCACAF that's better than that front three. Yeah. I don't know if you disagree. I don't. Tell me if you do. Yeah. I, I honestly think I think that's not a, a stretch at all for me to say. And with I think teams fear that. I think other team other nations are are fearing that. And I know uh Ollie Platt had some good tweets about this, about you know, he's down there in Mexico and the Mexican media is talking about it as well. They're talking about how scary Canada is, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Who wants the the likes of, of Davies, David, and Buchanan running down at you as your three pronged attack? That's scary. Let alone you know fullbacks like Richie Larea, and then you know someone like a Jonathan Osorio chipping in on the offense as well, and and Mark Anthony K and the job that he's done filling in for Atipa Hutchinson. Like there's there's a lot of, of positive takeaways, I guess, to take away from these two games, and. Yeah, sure. We we'd like to have more from those two two performances, but at, at the same time, they're still undefeated. Mm-hmm. Canada's undefeated through five World Cup qualifying games, and that's probably something we didn't believe we'd be saying at the start of this campaign. Yeah. No, yeah, right? certainly, especially when you look at you know the fact that it included trips to Nashville and the Azteca, like we said in the in the first little bit. So, um, yeah, I think I think you take where Canada's at. Um, now with that being said, of course, uh, like, like we've said, everything to this point is kind of dependent on this Panama game, which I want to talk about a little bit because it is so massive for so many reasons. Panama very quickly have become the clear opponent, I think for Canada, at least at this stage in the qualifying cycle, they're the team that are threatening right now to make the world cup over Canada in terms of some of the results they picked up, obviously beating the United States is massive. Um, some of the performances they've had going away to Jamaica and getting a 3-0 win. Like, this Panama team is proving very quickly that they're quite good. The one thing with Panama, though, is it's been almost the same team the entire cycle. So you come into your sixth World Cup qualifier with a very, very similar team coming away to Canada. There's They're in... I think for me lies a massive advantage for Canada where they actually not really through their, their own decisions, but have a lot of guys rested. You got Tejon rested. You got Richie rested. Steven Vittoria's rested. You might even be getting in a Laren or an Atiba Hutchinson. We're not fully sure. Jacob on that Schaffelberg's yet. rested. What? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of, uh, Eustachio didn't play, you know, the, the full 90 against Jamaica. Like, 
this is such an opportunity for Canada to really, really take a huge step where this is a proper six-pointer. They could do some damage to one of the teams that they're in direct competition with while at the same time, you know, really elevating their position here. And these two teams played at, I believe it was at the Gold Cup where Canada, year, no. Canada beat Panama. It was no, I don't Gold... think they, I actually don't think they played since like, it's been a long time since Canada's played Panama. I want to say, really, yeah. Um, okay, I want to. I want to get that fact checked, but I guess sure. someone in the chat. Oh, I can do that while you talk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You do that. Um, Armando Cooper still playing Panama. There, still going going strong. TFC uh, alumni. Now, on paper, guys, you know, in my opinion, it's not even close. Like Canada is so much better than this this Panama team. But this Panama team has proven that they're they're tough to beat, and I, I talked about you know that intimidation factor and and you know never backing down from challenges. That is this this Panama team, and they've proven that. And <laughs> great evidence evidence of that was, was that result on Sunday against the United States, that one nothing victory. To be able to do that against the U.S. is that that's that's remarkable, and. Now they're they're going to be coming into to Canada and to BMO Field with with a different level of confidence. Now um, I've been saying in the chat there, I think he did your homework for you, Mitch. Is is apparently we haven't played Panama since 2014, so I was mistaken that there. Correct. Um, yeah. So yeah, it'll be another good measuring stick, I guess, for this this men's national team. I'm expecting Canada to go out there, and I'm expecting them to obviously come away with three points. They're playing at home; they have to do that. But the, the magnitude of this fixture with the position that both teams are in, like this is this is a real treat for, for fans who are attending that game at BMO Field. Like this will be probably the biggest men's national team game in Decades. I want to say it's even bigger than, than the 2019 game against the States. Yeah. No, unquestionably much bigger than that game, I would say. Yeah. And if Canada get three points today. They get that separation a little bit from Panama, and they've had really a, a really difficult schedule so far. They might have had one of the most difficult schedules in the region, considering the fact that they went to the U.S. already, they went to Mexico already. You know, they've gone to Jamaica. Although, you know, you can debate whether or not how tough that is, but it's a it's a good position I think Canada are in right now. And if they capitalize on this opportunity, because that's what I'm calling it, I'm calling it an opportunity right now. If they capitalize on that, that's that's a, a step, a foot in, a foot into to qualifying for the the World Cup there in twenty twenty two. Probably has no bearing on this game since again these games were played like seven years ago. But interesting stat I just found is that Canada and Panama the last three times they've played, no one scored. So hopefully we see a goal at least in in this game because there's been a lot of zeros the past uh, the past few games between these two countries. Um, Who was on yeah. that that 2014 Canada roster though? That's what I wanted to. Kyle Becker, I remember that. I remember Kyle Becker being out there. It was an away game in Panama. It was like an international friendly. I think the that would have been the start of the Benito Flora era. Flora era. I remember uh, there was a drone that kept. Uh, going around the pitch and everyone's right. wondering what that was about. There's right. a lot of craziness. I mean, that was such a different era 
uh, of Canadian soccer, certainly. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to see another scoreless draw in this one. Maybe a Tiba, but I don't think anyone else right now on this current roster might have been on. Maybe, uh, maybe. I'm Maybe. Sure <laughs> I don't know how um, much Googling you want me to do in this show. <laughs> Maybe Ozo. Maybe maybe Borean, too. Those are the only guys who would have been on that roster at the time. So this is a completely different national team. And considering how far, how, how much this team's grown, it's going to be a completely different game. And I'd be shocked if, if there's not a, a goal or a couple of goals in Canada considering what you mentioned there earlier, Mitch, is how rested their stars are, how hungry I think this team is to, to bounce back from uh, from that game against Jamaica. Now, I, I saw an interesting question in the chat, Mitch, a couple of minutes ago. It was from Ivan again. Jonathan and he's, he's asking yeah. Jonathan David, which is a great question because Jonathan David obviously came in red hot from Lille. He had, what, six goals in his last four games. Has he been disappointing for you, Mitch? Yes, but I'm also on two minds here because he does certainly play a very different role for Canada, especially this cycle, than he does for Lille in the sense that he really is very isolated in this Canadian setup where Canada really likes to do all of its attacking down the wings and it's a lot of cutting in. And he's often the decoy runner. Like, he's the guy who's one leading the press, which is a very thankless job, especially if he's not picking off any balls. Like we've seen a lot of times here where it's been uh, the the next line, like Oso or Kay, who've been picking off those those balls where David's been the, the runner to, to force those attacks. And then Canada turns that around. Um, so he's definitely been a willing runner. He's been working super hard. He's played a ton of minutes. So in that, you know, in that commitment, he's been very, very important to what Canada has been able to do through the first couple of games. With that being said, I mean, there's a, there's a play in that Jamaica game where he's one-on-one with a defender and tries to cut back instead of just blowing by him, you know, of Canada's attackers, he's honestly looked the least confident so far. And that's been a little disappointing because like you said, he was in amazing form coming in. He's, you know, he's relied upon as, as a key guy to score goals for Canada. Again, I think not having Kyle Lahren has made it a lot more difficult for him, but um, I, I'd like to see a little bit better. But again, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's mixed. I think it's mixed performance. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great show. And I think you summed it up nicely. John Herman was actually posed that that question after the the Jamaica game and he was asked about Jonathan David and that's that's pretty much what he said he echoed that sentiment is Jonathan David's a striker who loves playing off another striker and I think we see that in all of his intricate touches and whatnot like this guy laying off the ball you know turning for a quick give and go like he's he's remarkable at it I think that's probably if not his best then one of his best assets is is how well he links up with people close to him and as you mentioned with this setup like he he is isolated He's not the type of striker that, you know, you talk about that one situation about blowing by the guy. He's not He's not a type of striker that he'll take someone on 1v1. He, I don't think he's, he really is that guy. He's the kind of guy who plays within the game. The type of, type of player who does that. And he feasts off, as I think Stacey said in the chat, he feasts off of great service. Um, that being said, I don't know, I don't know if I, I completely like, agree that he's not getting service. I think, you know, there's <laughs> Canada's wings are... They're they're dang good and they're they're whipping quite a few balls into the box and 
yeah, that's that's why I, I agree with you there, man. It's just yes, I'm disappointed, but I know that there's he's not being put in the most ideal position. Um, I'm not worried about Jonathan David whatsoever. Not hitting, not hitting the the alarm bells or anything like that. But um, as a key player for this team, I, I would like to see a little bit more out of him. And, and perhaps if Kyle Laren is back for that Panama match. Perhaps there there's something there that you know really gets him going. I think yeah, he's to sum it up, he's best in like a two striker sort of setup. Yeah, if he can, you know, if he can get a goal and Canada get a win against Panama, then I think this is like I think this conversation is over. It's kind of like the last window where he got that crucial goal against El Salvador, and it was you know some of his faults earlier in the window were were forgotten. So yeah, I, I, obviously you know just given the profile and given the player, he's always going to have heightened expectations for Canada, but I certainly don't think he's been disappointing this window. I just think he hasn't been, you know, the game breaker that he can be for, yeah. for the Canadian national team. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's well said there. Um, all right, Mitch Panama score predictions. You're going to, you're going to go out there on a limb Two nil Canada. I like it. I'm going to go three nil. I think they, they make a statement on right. this one and, like, like you know, just looking at the table, let me just bring that up quickly. Um, I know Canada's Thank not not, not for everyone else to see, just for myself. Oh, okay. Fair <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that great right? producing guys. Um, <laughs> so just looking at the table right now, Canada sitting in fourth place on seven points, one point ahead them ahead of them is Panama on eight. Same with the U.S. on eight, and then you have Mexico at eleven. Behind them is Costa Rica on six, and El Salvador on five. So if they can get a win here, those three points and, and that prediction, you know, comes comes true. They create quite a bit of separation. Obviously, they go two points up on Panama. And they have, I, I think, in my opinion, at least a more favorable schedule. So I think this, this just amplifies how important this tie is for Canada. Like this is it. This this you have to show up to this game. Because on the other hand, if if what Yvonne's saying in the chat and you know and ends up being one nothing <laughs> for Panama on a goal by Armando Cooper, which I hope does not happen, then Canada's staring down the window of okay, now they're four points back at or you know, depending on what the mm-hmm. US does, it could be four points back heading into yeah. the the second half, I guess let's call it, of this this World Cup qualifying stretch. So it just it, it's super important they get out there and they, they put out their best team and, and put in a, a performance that you know, really helps and go, go on to get the three points. Yeah. And absolutely. You know, if you're, if you're at all on the fence about whether or not you should go to BMO field tomorrow, I hope that the importance that we've put on this game and, and, you know, the, the preview that we've done today makes it clear that you got to be there. This is, this is a moment that could be a massive turning point again for this national team like this. If they win this game, you know, there's like Michael said, there's, there's a, a really good opportunity that they're they're building towards a world cup here so like we said this is a massive massive one get out there support the national team and 100 percent capacity know. yeah exactly the, the you know the the tickets are, are open and we've seen how great the atmosphere has been at the last couple of games but it could be even better this time so um yeah i'm super super looking forward to taking the trip down to, to bmo uh, tomorrow that's gonna be special building off that mitch guys we talk about this story a lot about how, you know, a couple of years ago we were at a footy talks event at the rec room, you know, Alfonso Davies was there and, and a couple of other players. 
And we're talking about how we're never going to be able to get that sort of access again because it's such an intimate setting. Guys, tickets for for games like this, if if this heads in the direction we believe it's heading, mm-hmm. tickets for games like this are not going to be as easy to come by. Yeah. Now, like for a game like this to see Alfonso Davies, Buchanan, Jonathan David, uh, your hometown kids like Richie Larea, you know, Jonathan Osorio, to see those guys in a men's national team shirt, it's not going to be this easy in the future. And I'm talking about the, uh, the future that like could bl- really blink in front of our eyes. Like it could be the next time Canada plays at BMO Field. Mm-hmm. It might not be this easy because tickets are going to be getting quite more expensive, and they're going to be mm-hmm. become a commodity because games are going to be starting to get way more important. And as Canada continue this push to to qualify for the 2022 World Cup, like. <sighs> It's it's going to be tough, so I highly recommend you guys get out there for this one. It'll be it'll be a moment to remember. I hope there's a legitimate chance next time Canada plays at BMO, their front three play for Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and Club Brugge. So you know, like there's a like you said, yeah, the stock is is ever rising on Canadian soccer. So this is an opportunity to you know be there when uh, again you know the, at one of those moments when when Canada soccer really took off. So yeah. Very, very excited for for that game. And obviously, a lot to be excited about in Canadian soccer circles right now. We, we talked a little bit with, with Amy about all the incredible things that the women's national team have done recently. And they're getting rewarded for it. Three Canadians nominated for the Ballon d'Or on the women's side. Christine Sinclair, Ashley Lawrence, and Jesse Fleming. Um, part of the 20-woman shortlist with the winner being announced on November 29th. It's, you know, it's good to see. It's good to see some of those players obviously having won an Olympic gold. Like, they should be in that conversation. Yeah, I thought there could have been a, a couple more. Like, we talk about mm-hmm. the performance of Vanessa Gilles. Um, You know, <laughs> I think she might have played her way onto that list, but obviously she's not. Kadishi Buchanan as well. I was actually surprised she was left off that list. Yeah. Even um, Steph LaBay, I know she doesn't do the same on the, the club side, but was probably Canada's player of the tournament. Yeah, exactly. And you know, but still no Canadian male or female has ever won the Belando Award. Um no one's even finished top three in voting. Now that being said, the women's award was only started to get rewarded in, in twenty eighteen. So that probably is why Christine Sinclair has not won a Ballon d'Or yet. But, you know, there there's a chance this year. And I think Ashley Lawrence, Jesse Fleming, and Christine Sinclair are great, great people to have up there for the award for Canada. I think they're probably our three most important players. Um, maybe add Buchanan into that mix as well. And we see the growth of Jesse Fleming too. Just the quick shout out to Jesse Fleming. Like she's now getting into games for Chelsea. Um, and she's really not only just getting into games for them, but she's playing quite well for Chelsea right now. I think, you know, last match she was their player of the match. I mean, I know their social media account was going crazy for Jesse <laughs> Fleming, which I saw, yeah. which was great. And she's really, you know, growing up in front of our very eyes and, and really becoming the player we all thought that she could be, if not even better. Yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed because that performance did come against my Foxes. But <laughs> nonetheless, I mean, it, it was exciting to see, you know, Fleming finally start to break through with that team because she's such a quality player, like literally a world-class midfielder in the women's game. So obviously, you know, it's good to see her getting those those club reps as well. And and like you said, this is 
yeah, those those are kind of the core players of the national team. So it's it's good to see them, you know, in that mix with the with the best in the world. Um, let's let's talk some TFC. Why not to to finish let's up the show it. here? They've uh, they've got a, a fun one against Atlanta United um, on on Saturday, I believe, uh, at BMO Field. And you know, I, I think Toronto FC has been one of those teams that's been kind of a thorn in Atlanta United's side for so many years. And you know, I'd love to have that continue. They took the points record away from them. Obviously, went to Atlanta, beat them in the Eastern Conference uh, Finals a couple of years ago. Like. This has been a team that's been annoying Atlanta whenever they get the opportunity. And with Atlanta just one point out of the playoff spot, you know, why not do it again? Dare I say that Toronto FC has been fun to watch yeah. late? They have. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're undefeated the last five. as they, they won four to their last five games heading into this game against Atlanta United. And... Yeah, as Mitch said, for them to play spoiler against Atlanta, that would be you know music to our ears. I know Atlanta United fans would probably hate that, but we're we're not you know even as fans, yeah, we want that high MLS super draft pick. Well, I mean, kinda, and we also want that that top allocation spot order or you know, one of the top spots next season. So, like on one hand, like should they be tanking? But no, like I, I think they should be going out and, and trying to win every game, which they have been, and. I'd, yeah, I, I think Atlanta is going to be a good test because the teams that they face, aside from maybe Nashville, you know, Colorado as well, like they're not not really top caliber teams. Let's call it mm-hmm. <laughs> like they've yeah. been getting the results they probably should have been getting. Now against yeah. an Atlanta United team who's desperate to make it into the playoffs, now this will be a, a big test because there's going to be that side playing with urgency. How will TFC respond without any pressure on them? That's that's gonna be a big question, and we'll see how they they you know bounce back after this this international break, and with possibly Alejandro Pozuelo back into the starting eleven. What's that gonna look like? Ooh. That's a, yeah. a good twist there, eh? Yeah, that is very exciting. Yeah, anyone else uh, who we can expect back potentially for for Toronto FC? Although obviously that's a big one because we've been talking for a couple of weeks what the Yef Schaffelberg Achara kind of combination that uh, has been so key to Toronto FC's recent results will look like when, you know, there are other other designated players back. Yeah. um, We'll see. We'll see what happens. uh, I guess with, with everyone else, I know that Chris Mavinga is still kind of dealing with, with his, I don't even know what to call it now at this point, like something to do with his leg. Cause I know he's, he's honestly injured like three, four different types of of muscles there in his leg, his ankle or whatever you want to call it his Achilles. I don't even know. Um, I think they're probably going to play it cautious with Mavinga because those are injuries he's been dealing with for a couple of years now. Um, so I would actually be surprised if Mavinga is is healthy enough to go. Um, everyone else, you know, I'm not sure what the, the status will be from t- people coming back from World Cup qualifiers. Fair. That, that's a that's an interesting interesting topic there because. On the one hand, like, yeah, you know, three days, you should probably be good enough to go. On the other hand, like, TFC are out of it. How important are these games, right? So maybe it's a few of the young kids stepping up there and, and getting some minutes. And one of those kids, notably, is, and who has been of late, is, is Shaquille Marcerudi, Mitch. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Saturday, for those in attendance, like, it could be a bit of a Shaquille Marcerudi show. 
that's a that's a good thing uh, a good thing to bring up just because this was something that I kind of forgot to put in our rundown. But Jaquiel Marshall really featured in the Guardians series mm. of young players to watch. The lone Canadian in that, unless you want to count Marcelo Flores, who's basically playing for Mexico at this point, but is Canada eligible? <laughs> I did want to at least put an asterisk on that one, but. Yeah, I mean, he was literally in the title photo for that, which I think, one, shows the respect that Canadian soccer is getting. But two, you know, this this kid certainly does have still, I know it's been a very tough season for him in terms of getting minutes regularly. And, and he's had some tough moments. But, you know, the last time we saw him, he won a penalty. Toronto FC able to get a goal off that against York. Um, and He's played yeah, a couple just, games after that. But yeah, he's, but he's, he's finally uh, getting some minutes. Yeah, I think he's actually like growing in front of our eyes too. Like he, he for me at least, every time he steps on the pitch, he looks a little bit better. And I'm starting to see like what this this end product could be. And this this kid is at his age. It's it's quite remarkable what he does. It's how smart he is on the ball, um, the decisions that he makes, and the swagger he's starting to start to play with. Like you can tell, like his confidence is is increasing, and he's he's growing and. And again, in, in confidence and his decision making, it's becoming more more fluent. Um, I know, like the first couple times he stepped on the pitch, like you can kind of tell he was sort of kind of feeling himself out. Now he's trying to go in there and actually impact the game, which is great to see. Mm-hmm. And his his size, his stature, his build up, like I think we're not going to see the best of him until he's about twenty twenty one. But that being said, like every game that goes by, like I said, he he is looking better and better and. I'm excited to see what this this looks like in in a year or two, and you know, I'll interest, I'm also interested to see when when that move will be because you know he's going to make the move overseas, and we'll see when when it'll come. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but it it has been so important that he comes into a Toronto FC side that's actually playing with confidence right now and actually, you know, doing some good things um, around him. So that that helps a young player for sure to to be able to you know, play with some confidence when you're not just coming in off the bench when you're down five nil or whatever. It's, it's a massive difference uh, most certainly, but let's talk about another Toronto FC player that that's gotten some, some accolades recently. And that's Io Akinola getting himself named to the MLS 22 under 22, which was announced earlier today, ranked number 17th. Um, Yeah. Obviously we haven't seen Io much this year and won't for the rest of the season, but you know, a player certainly that's worth not forgetting about if you're Toronto FC, because before this injury, he's been very, very good. He was one of their best players last season. And yeah, I think honestly, my main takeaway for the MLS 22 and under 22 is how much better the young players in this league have gotten because there was guys ranked like 20th who you're like, like Diver Casado, you're like, this is a good, good player. Um, yeah, it's clear with the young DP initiative and just everything, the the depth of youth talent in MLS is, is significantly better now than ever before. Yeah. Shout out Io for, for making that list. I think well deserved and i think he was the one that was in line for that young money so tfc had one young money spot mm-hmm. that they could essentially give to to one player and mm-hmm. i think he was sort of in line for that contract yeah. now i don't know if that'll still be the case obviously he's coming off a, a pretty significant injury and you know he will he will spend a lot of next season i guess rehabbing that injury but what's good for iowa canola and tfc fans in general to see is he has someone to look up to now and that that's a chara and yeah. we talked we talked we touched on him i guess earlier in the show and how good he's been this guy is the guy who's coming off an acl and lcl injuries it's great like, point. 
he was he this guy was in a guy was out for over a year, but now he's looking like again the Achara of old, a guy who was really exciting to watch and really um promising prospect for Toronto SC out of the MLS super draft. And I think Achara's kind of hit that hit that ground and, and kept on going. Like he is he's looking looking like the Achara of old, so Iowakanola has has someone to look up to there. Yeah, yeah. I think uh I think we might wrap things up here. I think today we've realized time-wise how much Jeff brings to the show, certainly. Um, in terms of uh, you know, adding adding some opinion and that sort of thing and just adding some airtime. But yeah, uh, anything else you, you want to add just before we uh, wrap up here? Uh no, man. I think other than the fact that I expect to see a full crowd at, at BMO Field mm-hmm. tomorrow and how big that game i'm I'm just i've been so excited about that game since the jamaica game and yeah. i can't wait to get out there at the field i can't wait to see the atmosphere i know the crowd is going to be buzzing i know the players are going to be buzzing i know i'm going to be buzzing i can't imagine mitch what you're going to be doing because mr canada soccer here is going to be probably in his bucket hat somewhere just uh soaking in this one and it, it should be fun it should be fun yeah, definitely should be, and, and shout out to the Voyagers for all the work they've been putting in behind mm-hmm. the scenes to get that atmosphere ready for that game. I know it's it's going to be fantastic in the south end, and that'll just fuel the the rest of the stadium for what should be a, an incredible atmosphere for Canada to go out and get a massive, massive result. So, yeah, just, just so excited for that game, as you said. Um, but that does bring us to the end of our show. Thank you so much to Amy as well for joining us and, and telling us a bit about Bonnie Vitell and women's soccer in general. That was a, a fantastic conversation. Really glad we we got to have it on the show. Uh, thank you for for listening and interacting as always. We, as we said, can't wait to see you at BMO Field tomorrow. Um, that'll be amazing. So on behalf of Michael Singh, I'm Mitchell Tierney. Till next Tuesday. 